Island Church welcomes you to the 2018 Fall Harvest Series. We pray that you are encouraged by all of the different ministers and that the Word of God touches you and blesses you. Praise God. Praise God. Please be seated. You know, this morning I was, I woke up early in the morning and I was asking the Lord what I should share with you and I got some things in my heart. And then, yeah, I went to the bathroom here and normally the Lord speaks to me in the bathroom. <laughs> you know, when you're on the throne, that's a good place to hear from God. And so the Lord, uh, I know that's how it works with me, you know. So I, uh, I, uh, so, you know, the, the Lord put something else in my heart and I, I would like to share that with you. A lot of these things you know already, there's nothing new. But, uh, you know, there's one thing that came to me that we should learn to rightly divide the word of truth. Not just the word of truth, but to rightly divide the word of right. truth. And uh, my situation is very unusual uh, because, and many of us find ourselves in that situation. You know, we are word of faith people, right? Yes. Generally speaking. But word of faith, as you and I understand it, is a very broad definition. Because within the word of faith, if I would call it the camp, there are certain extremes. And uh, you and I can be very, very, how do you say, balanced in our beliefs and our teachings. But because we are word of faith, people assume that, well, we are into extreme prosperity. You know what I'm saying, extreme prosperity. I mean, the really extreme, hyper-extreme stuff. People think, so there are people who are not word of faith who kind of pin that on us and makes it very hard to minister to them because they think we're extreme prosperity. While those who are into extreme prosperity, they look at us and they say, well, these people don't believe in prosperity yeah. just, just because we don't believe like them. So people, you know, if you are kind of balanced, you try to be balanced in your teaching, you find yourself uh, hard pressed from both sides. Do you understand what I'm saying? And um, same as with this new teaching on grace. Now, we all believe in grace. The Bible says by grace are you saved through faith. But now there's an extreme grace teaching. Now, those people think that we don't believe in grace. We are legalistic because we don't believe in the extremes that that do. So uh, I actually, uh, I was, uh, I'm going to say this in private. I was, a, I was very close to the main proponent of this grace teaching, the one who uh, kind of began to teach this. And that was at a time when he was not that extreme as he is now. And so as a result, people knew that I was friends with him. So I have pastors calling me and say, you know, I've lost half of my members. I've lost 400 people. I've lost 300 people because they say, Pastor, I've discovered grace and you're just too legalistic. So I say, well, what did you say that makes you legalistic? They say, well, you know, they think that uh, when I teach them that we shouldn't drink alcohol, I'm legalistic. You know, we shouldn't do, uh, we should live holy. That's legalistic. I talk too much about prayer. That's legalistic. And, and so, so they asked me, what should I do? I said, number one, do not ever preach against anything. You have to make that decision. Never preach against anything. Number two, go to the word and find out what the word says and preach that. Yes. 
Because the reason is this. You see, prosperity, biblical prosperity is a much needed doctrine because large segments of the church don't believe in prosperity. They think it's, uh, it's holy to be poor. You know, like I, I've heard people say stupid things like, oh, I went to Africa and those people were half naked. They had no shoes, but they had Jesus. You know, they were smiling. Now, as if they were, they had Jesus because they were poor. You know, I work in Africa. You ask Africans, is your poverty a blessing? They say, you are crazy. You Americans are stupid. And the only people who think who think that, that poverty is a blessing are rich Americans with a religious spirit. Isn't that true, Pastor? People who normally say poverty is a blessing are those who live in a nice air-conditioned home, drive a nice car, they have everything. They go on a mission trip and they come back and say, you know, poverty is a blessing. So, you know, we, we have to find out what the Bible actually says and not you know, parrot things that we hear from certain TV preachers who have a big ministry. We have to do that, okay? So I want to share, uh, I want to go into the subject of prosperity and I want to share with you some things that I learned along the way. Now, another part I want to mention to you as a background, I'm with the Assemblies of God. And uh, there are, you know, I was, I was telling uh, Pastor Sam, my district superintendent, when I got my papers with the Assemblies of God, he actually said to me, he said, Brother Christopher, we, we really, I mean, you'll be a blessing to us and we'll be a blessing to you. I said, in what way? They said, we'll be a blessing to you because the Assemblies of God is all about missions and many of our churches will help you. But you'll be a blessing to us because uh, you went to Rhema, you sat under Brother Hagin's ministry and you can teach us on faith and healing and what the Bible says about money. That shocked me. But 30 years ago, Brother Hagen was a false prophet. Yeah. So people have changed. You know, there's a lot of, there's a young generation, newer generation there. The old generation with those prejudices, they're old and many of them are kind of dying out. So things have changed. But there are a few people I run in the AG who kind of watch me. They say, now he's going to trip up and say something. He's going to, you know, talk about <laughs> he's going to say something extreme and they've been waiting for years and I've never said anything extreme because as uh, Brother Dustin said, I'm a stickler for the word. I'm not a stickler for word of faith teaching or prosperity teaching or grace. I'm a, I'm a stickler for the word and I'm a stickler for whatever the word says about grace, whatever the word says about prosperity. You know, the reason there is such a market for these teachings there's a reason for pros uh, why there's a market for prosperity teaching is because there has been a lot of poverty teaching. So whenever someone teaches prosperity, there's a, often it's a, it's a reaction to the old, right? There's the reason there's a market for grace teaching is because the church, generally speaking, has been so legalistic for decades. So when someone comes with grace, it's like a breath of fresh air. That is why it's so important that we teach these things to people, rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen. Amen. Don't just read someone's books, but go to the Bible and see what the Bible teaches. Now, are you with me? Now, I want to start by telling you a story. And this was, I think about 11 years ago, there was a tsunami that... Uh, 
uh, hit the, um, you know, in the Indian Ocean uh, that destroyed uh, large parts of Thailand and uh, Indonesia and other places in Southeast Asia. There was a tidal, there was an un undersea earthquake. When there's an undersea earthquake, that unleashes a tsunami. A tsunami is a wave, you know, of different heights. And uh, this wave was about 70 feet high, 70 to 90 feet high. And the tsunami waves travel at 500 miles an hour. And, and they come, and they come very fast, and they, I mean, they took large ocean liners and, uh, and cargo ships and took them five, six miles inland. I mean, it caused a lot of destruction. And I watched this whole thing on CNN. Uh, when I watched this thing on CNN, I, you know, the, the good thing about TV these days, you see live when, as things are happening all over the world. And I saw this, and I had never seen anything like this. I mean, I went to war when I was, 17 years old, I was a combat veteran, and I saw death and destruction, but nothing like this. And I felt like I want to do something. Every Christian should feel that way. Whenever you see people in need, there's something rises within you. Now, I am, my ministry, you know, after some years, you, when you're in the ministry, you want to do everything. But after some years, you discover your niche, and you know this is what God has called me to do now. I'm a soul winner and a church planter. That's what I've always been. That those are, I can do other things. I taught four years at the biggest Bible college in Europe. I did that. I've done that. But what I really am, I'm a soul winner and a church founder. People ask me, what office do you stand in? I said, I'm like a spare tire. Wherever you put me, I'll roll. I can, I've taught Bible school. I planted, I planted churches. I oversee 400 churches uh, in Africa. I do a lot of different things because I've learned this one thing. You've got to learn to be versatile. You've got to develop yourself in the ministry. But what I really, really, I should say, is my gift. I'm a soul winner and a church planter. Now, then I know there's other people who are gifted to do humanitarian work, but that's not my gifting. I can do that. I run an orphanage in Zimbabwe, but that's not really my gift. The reason I run the orphanage is because someone dumped these orphans on me. So I said, well, I'll take care of them, and I'm blessed that I can do it. But that's not really my gift. You, do you understand what I'm trying to say? So I felt like, you know, that's not my gift. So I cannot really say let other people help these tsunami victims, because your heart is touched. You want to do something. So I said, Lord, what should I do? Because I'm not a, uh, I don't know how to organize a, a relief effort, or I, I don't know how to help these people. So the Lord said to me, uh, why don't you believe me for some money to give to those who are doing something? So I said, okay. So I went on my knees and I prayed. And this thing came to my head. How much should I believe God for? And I got a figure, $25,000. Now, but $25,000, I know it's not much for you, but for a guy like me, that's a lot of money. Especially when you need $25,000 right away because the tsunami victims didn't, wait for me to believe God for one year to collect 25,000 bucks. So they want it now. And for me, that is huge. That's $25,000. So the other thing is that I don't have the gift of taking offerings. I go to churches. I never take my own offerings. I'm very, I'm not good at asking people for money. You know, I'm very good at asking people for money for others. Yeah but not for myself, and uh, I know some preachers are so good at raising money. If a child swallows a coin, you take it to the preacher. If the doctors can't get it out, he knows how to get it out, you know? <laughs> they, are, they are good, they have this, 
They're like money magnets, you know. So I said, Lord, I said, Lord, I don't know how to do this. What should I do? So the Lord said, send an email. Now, this was before Facebook. And I, I, used, I had a list of personal emails I would write to friends. And the Lord said, just send an email to your friends and tell them your intention. So I did that. And something amazing happened. Money began to come in. My friends were touched, and they forwarded my emails to people I didn't even know. And in a few days, I had $170,000. You know, that's a wonderful problem to have. When you're believing God for 25 grand, and you got 170,000 plus, and more came in later. So now I have to send this money out, and I don't know what to do with it. It was too much. So I picked up the phone and called a friend of mine in Singapore. He had like 33,000 people in his church. I said, hey, brother, are you doing anything to help tsunami victims? He said, yeah, I've got four teams out there. You know, a church our size. We have lots of doctors and nurses. I've sent on four teams. I'm sending six more teams out. I said, do you need any money? He said, yeah, we need money. I said, how much do you need? He said, well, uh, he said, Chris, whatever you got, $100, $200, everything helps. I said, it's going to be more than that. He said, no, wait a minute. Guys like you, you're a missionary. Guys like you, ask guys like me for money. Are you telling me you want to give me money? I said, yeah, I want to give you money. That's the miracle. I'm calling you. To, I want to give you money. I said, ask your secretary to send me your bank account. So they sent me a bank account. And I remember I sat in my office when the first $30,000 went out. And I learned two things sitting behind my desk when my secretary called the bank and made the first transfer. The first thing that money is an enabler. Money is power. Yeah. I, my mind went back to those days I used to sit in my back in my home church in, back in Sweden. And before I went to Rema, my wife and I used to sit in the back and a missionary would come and he's, run, he's raising money for India or Africa. And I remember sitting, my heart was always right. I said, Lord, I wish I had so much money that I could just write one single check and hand it to this man so they wouldn't have to waste time on taking this offering. I wish I could do it. I had the good wishes, but I did not have the means because you cannot give more than what you have in your hand. But I realized that good intentions will never feed a hungry child. Good intentions will never win a soul. Good intentions will not help a missionary, but cold, hard cash. And Benjamin Franklin will do more than George Washington. Benjamin Franklin has been saved in church so many times. I mean, George Washington has been saved so many times. We need to get Benjamin Franklin in. You understand what I'm saying? That's the first thing I learned, that money is power. Money in the hands of righteous people with righteous intentions can do a lot of good. Money in the hands of selfish people or evil people will only do selfish and evil things. Money is amoral. Money has no morality. It is the hand that holds the money that has the morality. Do you understand what I'm saying? Money is an enabler. The second thing I learned 
is what great joy there is in being able to give away 30,000. Then I gave 30,000 more. That one church got 90,000. Then, you know, I mean, with that money, uh, we built two orphanages. We repaired churches, repaired people's homes, an entire fishing village in Burma. We, we rehabilitated rehabilitated the entire village, bought fishing boats and nets for all the fishermen, dug wells. You can't even imagine what you can do with a US dollar outside in third world countries. Yeah. I was amazed, but so money is an enabler. Secondly, there is the second thing I learned is what great joy there is in being able to give away so much of money to people without any strings attached. Now, of course, I was giving away other people's money, understand. We preachers, we handle, you know, other people's money. But the fact is that it was going through my hands and it felt good. And I said, Lord, always put me in a position when I can bless somebody else. Amen. That's why one of the things I like when I go to a restaurant, I always look around to see who is there. And if I see somebody praying over their food, I try to pay their bill. I always do that. I feel there's a great joy in being able to do little things for people. And I always tip 20% because they say 10 to 20%. I always try to do the max because it helps. Even in countries where they say tipping is not necessary, I still do it anyway. Because a friend of mine taught me years ago, he says, the Lord spoke to me, anytime something leaves your hand and goes into someone else's hand, it always pleases the heart of God. Amen. Do you understand? So when that happened, now you got to understand, me being a word of faith guy, every time I heard anyone talk about money and prosperity, it was always about private jets, it was always about Rolexes and diamond rings and cars and mink coats and all that. And, and so I want to say, Lord, I want to see what the Bible really says. So I began to do a study of the Bible, a study of the scriptures, and this is what I came up. And I'll be brief with this, try to run through this quickly. The first thing is uh, the purposes of prosperity. I discovered there are three purposes of prosperity. Everything that God de does for us or in our lives has a purpose. There has to be a purpose behind prosperity, right? There has to be a reason, a purpose why God wants to prosper us. The first one is, let's look at Psalm 35, verse 27. I'm going to give you a whole bunch of scriptures. I won't just give you one verse and tell stories. <laughs> Brother Dustin, you've got to write that. Okay. Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yeah, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Now that's a mouthful. But what it actually means, that God delights to prosper those who uphold his righteous cause. The people who God wants to prosper are those who uphold his righteous cause on this earth. And what is his righteous cause on this earth? It is something called the Great Commission. The number one thing in God's agenda is the Great Commission. Now, let me tell you something about the Great Commission. People think the Great Commission is going to all the world and preach the 
gospel to every creature. That's not the Great Commission. The Great Commission is go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He says, making disciples of all nations and teaching them all things that I have taught you. So the Great Commission isn't just guys like me who are, you know, I'm going to India in four weeks and I just came back from Africa. But the Great Commission begins in the local church. Because that is where disciples are made. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Great Commission always begins with the local church. That's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum are those who are, those who are out on the field winning souls and planting churches. All that is the Great Commission. So the Great Commission aren't just the missionaries, but the Great Commission starts with the churches that actually train those missionaries and send them out. And if you're a pastor, you're going to start thinking, is your church a part of the Great Commission? Are you a Great Commission church? Are you a soul-winning church? Are you a missions church? Do you understand what I'm saying? In the assemblies of God, I, sometimes, you know, pastors say, oh, that's a great missions church. You should go there. I said, what about those churches that are not missions churches? Why do they even exist? Amen? So we got to, we got to think because we have to be a great commission church. That means we have to be a church. A church, just because it is a church, is not by default a Great Commission church. A Great Commission church is a church that actually disciples people, trains people, sends missionaries, supports missionaries, raises up soul winners. Amen. Amen. So God loves to prosper those who love the local church and who love missions. And God's number one agenda is the church and the people who the church sends out. Now, I'm a missionary, but I am 100% loyal to my local church. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because that's where missions begin. They are the ones who pray for me, who send me out. Amen. Amen. That is very important for us to realize. Many people who are in missions, they think it's all about them. It's not all about us. It's all about that whole spectrum. Missions begin with the local church, and the other ends are the people who send out. And God loves to prosper those who support the local church, who support missionaries, that whole process. Are you with me? That's the number one thing on God's agenda. Number two reason for prosperity is, uh, let's look at Proverbs 22, verse 9. I've got other scriptures too, but for want of time, I will, I will go through this quickly. Proverbs 22, are you with me so far? Yes. Proverbs 22, verse 9, it says, He that has a bountiful eye or a generous eye shall be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. The number two reason for prosperity is that God wants us to help the poor. Do you understand? I think sometimes we who are conservative Christians, we, 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 we unfortunately develop an attitude that the, you know, it's, it's the liberals who stand for helping the poor. If a guy is poor, it's because he's lazy. I think it's not, you know, many, I'm not saying everyone thinks like that, but I've run into people who think that, and that is wrong. Firstly, it's not my call to judge why somebody's poor. You don't know. 
There are lazy people, but there's people who genuinely have issues. That's why they're poor. And the church should never respond politically that, oh, I'm a conservative Christian, so I am Republican, so I have to think that way. No, we don't. We have to think as the Bible thinks. Our loyalty is not to a party or a political ideology. Our loyalty is to the Bible. And the Bible tells us we have to love the poor, we have to help the poor. Amen. The Bible talks about the widows and the orphans. And the Bible has a lot to say. So the second reason God wants to prosper us is because if we prosper, we can help the poor. You know, you know, honestly, people ask me what I think of welfare. I say, I, ju I just say this. I said, welfare exists because the church isn't doing her part. Do you understand what I'm saying? The church, uh, half of the church isn't believing for prosperity and those who are prosperous are not doing anything to help the poor. Thank God the government has welfare because if they didn't, there's people who'd be starving to death on the street. But... Instead of criticizing, I think we should rise up and begin to prosper and begin to believe God so we can help the poor. Amen. Amen. So the first reason God wants to prosper us is for the Great Commission. To make sure that the word of God is spread all over the earth because that's God's agenda. Because the book of Revelation says that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen. Habakkuk says, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that will happen only when the church preaches the gospel. The gospel is free, but it takes money to get the gospel out. And that money will come from God's people who God prospers. And God loves to prosper those people who want to support the church and wants to support missions. Amen. So that's the number one reason. Number two reason for prosperity is God wants to enable us to help the poor. So whenever there's a need, there's widows, there's orphans, and the needy, we can say, I'm here. God has blessed me. I'm here to help. Amen. The third reason God wants to prosper us is in Psalms 37 verse 4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Third reason God wants to prosper you is because you are his child and he loves you. And he wants to give you the desires of your heart. Well, you know, the interesting thing in this context is when you walk with God, when you give your life to the cause of the gospel and to the cause of helping the poor, it has a somewhat tempering influence on that which is important to you. Because in the beginning, you, it's so important to have this, to own this, to buy that, to own this. But when you give your life to the gospel, when you give your life to, uh, you know, to helping the poor, suddenly these things that are so important to you aren't important anymore. Have, have you seen the movie Schindler's List? You know, Oscar Schindler, he spent his entire fortune helping Jews, saving the Jews from the Nazis in World War II. And at the end of the movie, you know, he began to... There was a transformation in his mind. He began to look at his wealth from the context of how he could use that to help others. So he looks at his watch. He said, I could have saved 100 more people. This ring, 50 more people right there. It, it changed him. It changed the way he looked at things. So God wants to give you the desires of your heart. 
But what happens is that when you give your life to the Lord and, you know, to the, the cause of the gospel, it has an influence on what is important. And all of us have a different taste, you know. People want, people like different things. And that's why I never judge anybody for what he likes. Some people like, I don't know, stuff that I don't like. For me, if I have a nice meal and I'm with my friends, I'm happy. You know, other, I know one friend of mine, he likes shoes. I said, fine, you have your shoes, you know. And, but, you know, I'm not the shoes guy, but he is. But I don't judge him because he likes shoes. And uh, do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, we are all different. So the, but the important thing is that when you love the Lord, when you put the cause of the gospel, the cause of helping the poor, what is important to you? It shift, there's a shift in that. But the third reason is that you are a child of God, the Father loves you, you are an heir of God, joint heir with Christ, and God wants to bless you with the desires of your heart. And that is beyond your needs, above your needs, there's things you desire, God wants to bless you with those things. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, let's look at, now, I want to give you another verse. Some might say, well, why am I last? You know, first is the gospel, second is the poor. I am number three on the list. Why? I want to be number one on the list. Why am I number three on the list? Simple reason. Ephesians 4.28. That's a key scripture. It says something like this. It says, let him who stole steal no more, but let him work that he might be able to give to others in need. Two things here. Firstly, God wants us not to be takers, but to be givers. Amen? Secondly, we work not for our needs. We work so that we can give others because God is our source. He says that let him work so that he may be able to give to others in need. My children, they are givers. Because I taught them, uh, you know, when they were uh, small and uh, each, each one of my kids, when uh, they finished high school, before they went to university, uh, they took a year and traveled with me in missions. So I said, during this year, just ask the Lord whether the Lord wants you to do ministry or something else. And each one, independent of each other, they all said, you know, God hasn't called me to do ministry, but I want to live for Jesus. And I'm blessed. I'm a blessed parent. I've got three kids who love the Lord. So I said, okay, fine. Because if you are called to ministry, I'd send you to Bible college. But if you're not called to the ministry, I'm going to send you to a good private school to him. I'm going to believe God and send you to a good college. So you get the best education possible because with a good education, you can start high in life. And the more you have, the more you can give to others. And that is their ethos. They live that way. My older son, he gives away over 30% of his income every year. Do you understand what I'm saying? But that's the whole ethos of giving. We, we don't live for ourselves. We live so that we can bless others. He's all, all three of them, they're always looking for opportunities to, to help others. Now, the older son, I mean, he makes more money than I've ever made in my life. But... 
but he's a giver. He gives. He gives to a lot of, when he finds out somebody is struggling, he'll give them a check. When he, he gives to missionaries, he tithes to his church. He's a, he's a big giver. And this is not because I told him he must do that, but he just does it. That's his heart. Amen. Amen. So we work so that we can live for others because we have a savior who came to this earth just for one reason, to die for others. Let us not live lives where it's all about us, but we live for God's purposes on this earth, okay? Now, let me wrap this up. The keys to financial prosperity. There's three keys. People think that uh, the key to prosperity is to send money to the big anointed man of God and you get the hundredfold return. The number one key to prosperity we find in Proverbs 22 verse 4. It says, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. <laughs> the Bible says, if you live a humble life, if you walk a humble walk and you live in the fear of the Lord, then the Lord promises riches and honor and life. If you look at these three things, riches and honor and life, you realize that prosperity is not just about money. Because if you have, if you're like, let me mention names, if you're like Tiger Woods, who has a lot of money, but he has lost his honor. He can't even walk through a mall. If Tiger Woods walked through a, walks through a mall, no one will point to him, ah, there goes a good man. True prosperity is not just about having money. But when people say to you, you know, not only does he have money, but he's a good man. He's a real Christian. He's not a hypocrite. He's a good husband. He's a good father. He's a genuine friend. This guy's 100%. He's the real deal. That is honor. You can have all the money in the world, but if you don't have honor, the Bible says a good name is to be chosen above great riches. The Bible says that the blessing of the Lord maketh rich and he adds no trouble to it. So actually the word prosperity that is translated as prosperity from the Greek, that the Greek word actually means that it may go well with you on your journey. It's about the journey of life. And in the, you know, in the journey of life, there's several things we need. Firstly is our fellowship with God. Secondly, after that comes our family, our marriage our relationship with our children. Then comes our relationships with the rest of our friends in the body of Christ. You know, all these different levels of relationships. Then comes good health, well-being, peace of mind. And money is a part of that. But money is not everything. Because there's one guy, I've lost touch with him. He was a multi-multi-millionaire, three kids. One was normal, one was on drugs, third he had mental case. He was, she was a mental case. And let me tell you, that man would trade everything he had for the life you have. So money is not everything. We think if someone has more than us, he's blessed. But he's probably looking at you and saying, I wish my kids were like him. My marriage was like him. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's the whole package. So the Bible says, if you walk a godly life, if you walk a humble walk, you will have riches, 
and honor and life. Hallelujah. Riches, honor, and life. So that's the first key to divine prosperity. I tell people, live an honorable life. Live a godly life. Walk a humble walk. And let God bless you with long life and honor and riches. Amen? The second key to prosperity is something called hard work. <laughs> Proverbs 13.11. Proverbs 13.11 says, Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. People often come, especially in America, people come with get-rich-quick schemes. You just have to sign up two people under you. Now, I, I really don't mind these multi-level programs as long as there's some work involved. But when they say to you, you just have to sign two people under you, and you don't have to do any work. You'll be sitting on a recliner, drinking RC Cola, eating Cheetos, watching TV, and you'll get wealthy because the people under you will do all the work and they will send the money to you. That don't work. I know a lot of wealthy people, and they all work hard. Rich people work harder than most people. They don't sit around lazy. Amen? Laziness is a curse. So hard work is a key to prosperity. You know, I was an army officer. I came from a wealthy family. My mother was a member of parliament. My dad was an army general. I came from a, a, a very, very wealthy family. But, you know, my story, I got saved. I was in prison and I left everything. I came, to, I left home when I, with 75 cents in my pocket. My family wanted to kill me. I ended up in Sweden with a backpack, with the clothes I was wearing, my guitar. And I came as a refugee. I had absolutely nothing. So the Swedish government put me in a Swedish language course. I studied language, and then I needed a job. And I spoke to my teacher. She said, I have the job for you. So she sent me to this guy. It's in a government office. And, and he said, yeah, I have a job for you. Welcome. She called me and said, and he took me down the corridor. He said, this is where you start. And there was a door there. And I, th I said, is this my office? He laughed. He said, yeah, there's an office. And he opened it. And there was a mop and a bucket and a vacuum cleaner. And he said, you shall clean this whole floor, toilets and everything. And those toilets were filthy. There was more in the floor than in the toilet. It was filthy, filthy, filthy. And I complained. I said, Lord, if my relatives saw me doing this kind of work, I said, I've never done this work. And the Lord said, do you want to stay here? Then complain. I said, I'm called to the ministry. And the Lord said, you can do ministry when you're not working here. So I was still faithful doing ministry, doing my eight, nine, ten hours a day. And then six hours a day I'd work there. And the Lord said, I can get you out of here only if you find joy in this. So I said, okay, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to be the best janitor this place ever had. And I was, nobody in this room can clean a toilet like me. I mean, if it was an Olympic event, I would win the gold medal. I became good at it. I used to, you know, clean, I said, I'm good. People ask me, what kind of work do you do? I said, well, I'm a sanitary engineer, you know. That's because I was too ashamed to tell them I was cleaning toilets. But that's what I did. 
I worked as a dishwasher. I worked as a sanitary engineer. I, I did really dirty jobs to support myself. But I decided that whatever I do, I will be the best they had. And soon those people begin to say, you are different. Because you don't complain, you don't argue. And I said, I'm a Christian. So soon they would come to me for prayer. They respected me because of my hard work. And they would, and because of that, I suddenly had credibility. And so soon they began to call me pastor. And they would want my counsel, want my prayer. And that's how God opened the door for me. So I tell people, whatever you do in life, even if you're flipping burgers or whatever, do it faithfully. Be the best worker they ever had. Do not be lazy. If you're in ministry, don't be lazy. Don't think that you just get up and preach on Sunday and you play golf the rest of the week with wealthy people in the church. You can't do that. Visit the widows. Pray for them. Amen. Spend time with people. Sit with them. Listen to them. Weep with them when you have to weep with them. Minister to people. Because our lives are not our own. Whatever. You know, I'm a preacher. I work hard. Amen. Amen. Let us work hard. That's the second key to prosperity. Hard work. And the third key, I'll be finished soon, is called giving. Right? The number one thing about giving, you give to good ground. We must... Give to good ground. Good ground is that which produces fruit. Now, there's two kinds of giving. One is giving by the word. You know, we believe in the word and the spirit, right? One is giving by the word, and the second is giving by the spirit. Giving by the word is giving specifically what the word tells us to give. And Malachi 3 says, very specifically, Bring the full tenth. I don't like to use the word tithe because the word tithe is like Robin Hood word tithes, you know. But the tithe is an old English word that means the tenth. My Swedish Bible says bring the full tenth. Some people say, oh, I tithe 5%. That is stupid. What did your math teacher ever tell you? You cannot 5%, 10%. You can only 10%, 10%. You can't say I tithe I tithe 5%. You can't do that. The 10% is 10%. So, so it says, bring your 10%. Bring the full tithe, not half of it, not three-fourths of it, to the storehouse. Okay? Now, the storehouse. Every church by default is not the storehouse. The storehouse was a place in the temple where people put their money in. And that's where the Levites and the widows and the orphans leave their money. Now, if your church qualifies as a storehouse, if you're a giving church, if you give to missions, you give to the poor, you're a storehouse. But just because you're a local church does not make you a storehouse. Do you understand what I'm saying? My home church is a storehouse because it's a giving church. So that's obeying the word. The top 10% of whatever I make, I don't know how much I make, but the ministry Gives to my boss, my wife. She spends all the money. When I need to buy something, I believe God for it. Amen. 
I really, really, I mean, all my clothes I'm wearing, I believe God for it. Uh, that's outside my income because my income goes straight to my wife and she spends it, whatever, in the house, kids, whatever, you know. Now it's my granddaughter, kids are grown up. But that's how it works. But here's the thing. The top 10% of your income goes to your church. Now, if you're a pastor, you should still be tithing. In the ministry, you should still be tithing. We should all be tithing. Amen? Now, that's the tithe. That's giving by the word. Giving by the spirit is called the offering. That is on top of the tithe. If you're faithful with the tithe, God will tell you. And that can be anything. That can be to help a missionary, to help, uh, uh, you know, sometimes God will tell you to give a gift to your pastor. Most people never give anything personal to their pastor. Should do that, especially if you're traveling ministry. You should give to other ministers. Give a private, and don't always, you know, in America we have this thing, you know, you do tax deductions, and sometimes it becomes like a curse that we only give where we can get a deduction. Oh, that's right. Give where you can't get a deduction. Don't let that be the determining factor. There has to be a 501c3 so that can give you credit for it. Do you understand what I'm saying? God can tell you to give to someone who doesn't have a 501c3, who cannot give you credit, but you get credit in heaven. So learn to be a giver. Offering, be obedient to God in offerings. It can be, it can, that includes, you know, helping poor lady lives down the street, paying for someone's groceries, and just, just obeying God, the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. If you're faithful with your tithes, you're faithful will, will, in giving, you know what's happened? You'll be the guy God comes to when there's somebody else has a need. You are the one whose pocket God will pick on because he knows you're faithful. And the more faithful you are, the more he'll ask you to give and the more you'll have to give to every good work. Amen? I want to finish with this one verse of scripture. Let's go to second. Are you getting anything out of this? Second Corinthians Chapter 9, the second Corinthians chapter 9, the whole chapter talks about giving, but I want to bring out one part of one scripture that really, really spoke to me. It's 2 Corinthians 9, 10. You know, sometimes when you're reading something, just this one verse jumps out at you. And this did it for me. Chapter 9, verse 10. It says, now he that ministereth seed to the sower. God gives money to sowers. God gives money to, he gives seed to sowers. In other words, God gives money to givers. Now, let me just say this. Need does not qualify a man to receive from God. Lots of people have needs. Need does not qualify us. What qualifies us? is giving. Let us always, now sometimes we who are in the ministry, because we are doing ministry, we think we are at the top end of the food chain, you know, (laughs) that everyone will give to us. And we forget that we should also give, that our prosperity, our blessing depends upon giving. We should be the, you know, when Solomon built the temple, his leaders gave the most. 
His leaders, they gave, and then the second level of leaders gave, then the third level of leaders gave, then the people gave, and there was so much came in, and Solomon said, stop, 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 we already have enough. We as leaders set the example in giving. Hallelujah. Personal giving, not just giving out of the ministry, not just giving out of the church, but giving personally. We set the example as giving, in giving, and that's when God prospers us. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And we, learn, we should learn to separate our stuff from God's stuff. Not dip into the ministry as a personal giving, but give for yourself. Amen. You know, I was in Singapore some time ago, and God gave me, I mean, some, somebody gave me some money, and, and uh, a lot, and I came to Africa, and my team, you know, they had needs there, the prices of food in Zimbabwe out of control, and the Lord told me, give them some money. So I gave them $1,200. I just, I just did it because God told me to, because if I do that, I know I'm blessed. Then I was, uh, I was with, I'm just telling you this, but I was in another place. I was with a pastor. He has 9,000 people in his church, and God told me, give him $500 just for his family. And I did that. And I never run short because I do things like this. God always takes care of us. Amen. God gives seed to sowers. Now, there are, in this world, there's two kinds of people. people. They're givers who are takers. And it's always givers who are blessed. It is better to give than to receive. You know why? Because if we give, that's when we receive. That's good. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen? Now, what I shared with you today, this is what I'm coming to. This is what I share when I go to Assemblies of God churches. And I tell them, let me share with you about giving and prosperity. This is what I share with them. Was it scriptural what I said? It was not extreme in any way. I have never met any opposition from anybody who has said, oh, he's teaching prosperity. What people react to is not sound biblical teaching, but they always react to extremes that are not based on the scripture, but that are based because we identify with a certain camp and we feel we have to teach what they are teaching. We don't have to. We have to teach what the Bible teaches. Because if we teach what the Bible teaches, it will keep us straight, keep our beliefs straight, plus it will help others. I've had people say, you know, that's the best teaching on giving I've ever heard. And I don't think it's anything spectacular. I'm just sharing out of the scripture. Amen? So let us not teach the traditions of men, but teach and preach what the scripture says. Do the same thing with teaching on grace. Do the same thing with teaching on faith. Whatever is out there that people need, find out what the Bible says. Don't get your messages out of somebody else's book or out of his tapes. But get it straight from the scripture. Let us be students of the Bible and rightly divide the word of the truth. And that will bless the people. Amen. Let's all stand up together. Let's lift up our hands to God and thank God for his mercy, for his grace, for his word. We thank you, Father, for your love, for your word, for your blessing. Thank you for listening to our Fall Harvest series. If you would like to find out more about Island Church located in Galveston, Texas, please make sure you visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah.